Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, Would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Friday, September 21st, 2012. if we're ending off with a banger or a whimper this week. Man, this week went by so fast for me. (laughs) You're thinking, well, uh, Chris, there's like 24 hours in a day just for you, just like everybody else, so how did it go faster? (laughs) Just felt faster. Anyway, thanks for asking. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. We are experiencing an outbreak of really bad teaching, and it's, well, it's mucking up the gospel, it's mucking up Christianity, and it, it, it ultimately, the uh, it's, I, I really personally think that uh, the reason why the American culture has gone south is a direct result of the, uh, the off-topic, off-focus uh, thing that's going on in uh, American evangelicalism. Uh, Christianity is called to be salt and light in the world. And uh, when uh, Christianity loses its saltiness, and in order for it to be salty, it has to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. And it has to do it with the firm conviction that this is exactly the message we are given from God. Without that, we cease to be salt and light and just blend into the wallpaper of uh, of the uh, the broader culture. And uh, there's a lot of people out there who are uh, who claim to be Christian pastors who ain't preaching Christian messages and we stop things, slow down, and do the comparative work. Sometimes we have a little fun along the way because truly, if you don't laugh, you're going to cry. And uh, at the same time, all of this is a learning experience. Now, let me pause before I get into the program itself and thank all of you uh, who've been praying for my uh, my father. Um, you know, my, it's kind of complicated. I have, a, uh, I have a biological father, and I also have uh, a, an adoptive father. And uh, and so the uh, <clears throat> my biological father who lives in Alaska uh, got word yesterday uh, just at the tail end of the program when I was in, in studio last night uh, got a text message from my brother letting me know that uh, you know, my father was in dire straits and uh, and had lost the feeling in the left side of you know much of the left side of his body. And so he had gone to the hospital with uh, the, you know, basically the the fear that uh, maybe he had had a stroke or he was in spree, uh, pre-stroke conditions. And so they ran a battery of uh, tests on him using the technology that's available in the small town that he lives in in Alaska. 
and uh, were, they were able to rule out, at least for the moment, that he's had a stroke. Um, and, but uh, the, the problem persists, and they, you know, they're not exactly sure what's going on. So uh, their concern at this point is there's something wrong with his nervous system, and uh, and so he's going to be traveling to Seattle uh, to a more technologically savvy uh, a hospital facility down in Seattle in order to uh, figure out what's going on uh, with his um, with the left side of his body. So uh, if you can continue to pray for my dad, I would appreciate it. His name is Raymond, and uh, just uh, you know, just wanted to get that out in fr- you know at the the, the front end of the program. There's nothing I could do. Uh, you know. It's, it's you know, not like hopping on an airplane, you know, which I don't even have the funds to do. But you understand what I'm saying. So uh, we're not, none of us are powerless. Uh, we all are capable of sending up prayers to our great God and King who hears our prayers and in his sovereignty chooses to uh, do what he's uh, sovereignly decided to do. <laughs> but uh, we can pray that, uh, that uh, things will go well and that my dad's health will be Restore, that would be great. Okay, so let's talk about what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. I will warn you ahead of time, there is no theme. Um, from time to time, I just, you know, I'll let you know that if I, unless I tell you there is a, yeah, that there isn't a theme, there is always a theme for each episode of Fighting for the Faith. This episode, no theme whatsoever. I, <laughs> it's just, this is... Um, this isn't even the, the, like the scraps. It's just that I can't, you know, with the stories that I have left to work with this week, uh, I could, there was no particular theme that I can grind on. So this is kind of a potpourri oatmeal against the wall episode of fighting for the faith. Okay. It's been, a, it's been a little while since I've done email. I have an email that I want to read today from pastor Daniel price, uh, you know, up there at uh, Trinity church in uh, Northwest Arkansas. He's uh, <clears throat> weighed in regarding, uh, James McDonald's claim that Moses is better than John the Baptist, which is just one of those weird things that, you know, from the uh, vertical church event that just left me scratching my head. It's like, huh? You know, okay, if you're going to take a different view than Jesus, uh, hopefully you know better than him. But uh, so we got an email that I want to read. Um, I've got (laughs) a Patricia King gang update. They have a brand new channel partner at at XP Media, and his name is uh, Brent Luck. And... (laughs) (laughs) This is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. But uh, he's claiming that um, he's received the lightning anointing. <laughs> I just uh, – I don't want to tell you anymore. Just suffice it to say you're going to hear something about a lightning anointing. <laughs> and so we got that. Uh, yesterday I, or the day before, Joel Osteen was on CNN. Uh, you know, they, they have like a morning breakfast show. And uh, and was it, it was really funny is I had a listener – uh, sent me a text message from uh, from uh, from Minnesota, and um, in fact, uh, Jeremy Rogan, if you remember him, he, uh, he former member at the Crossing Church. Anyway, he sent me a text message asking me if I had seen the CNN bit uh, with with Jill Osteen, and I said no, I've heard of it, I had heard of it, and I intended to get to it yesterday. So I, I looked at it yesterday afternoon, and I, oh man, but he had a great line, and I'm not going to take credit for it. This is Jeremy's line, but his his line was that uh, getting Joel Osteen to talk straight about sin 
is like getting uh, getting T.D. Jakes to talk straight about the doctrine of the Trinity. You're just you're just not going to get any firm answers there. So we we got that we got to cover today. Um, I've got a Stephen Furtick update. Uh, Stephen Furtick, uh, last sermon that he preached, the Sunday sermon, was about digging ditches. We're going to take a listen to that. I needed to take a little bit of a break from Stephen Furtick. I don't like overdosing on that guy. Uh, anyway, and then so and then after the break, we're going to listen to two fantastic sermons. Uh, one from Bre- uh, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, Hope Lutheran Church, Aurora, Colorado, and another just blisteringly great sermon from uh, Brent Kuhlman uh, in uh, Trinity from Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska. So that's going to round out the program today. I don't have much of a monologue uh, due to the fact that we've got a, we've got so much ground to cover. So we're going to just get right to it. And uh, with that, here's our email music. Okay, our email today comes to us from uh, Pastor Daniel Emery Price, uh, Trinity Church in uh, Northwest Arkansas. And the subject of his email reads, John the Baptist versus Moses is really foreshadows uh, versus the real thing. Dear Chris, he says, uh, while listening to Tuesday's episode of Fighting for the Faith, I found myself becoming increasingly upset at James McDonald when he reached the point of basically mocking the man that Christ himself said was the greatest man who ever lived, that being John the Baptist, and then gushing over Moses, I was at my boiling point, and there there I came to this conclusion. John the Baptist versus Moses, for the greatest man who ever lived, is really about foreshadows versus the real thing. Idolatry comes in many ways, and we are no stranger to most of them. People elevate gifts above the giver, and others worship creation instead of the creator. But now I'm seeing something else. Seeker-driven pastors love to search the Old Testament for themselves and lessons for the church. They love the stories of leadership, power, and wonders. And this is why, in their minds, clearly Moses was greater than John. Moses led millions out of Egypt. John lived alone in the wilderness. Moses, God gave Moses laws for the people. John told the people to repent for breaking those laws. Moses was led by a pillar of fire. John led the way for Jesus. Moses led people through the Red Sea. John baptized the Son of God that all righteousness may be fulfilled. Men like James McDonald will always find the foreshadow more appealing than the real thing. They tell us to be like Joshua, but say nothing of Jesus. They tell us to fight our giants like David, but say nothing about Christ defeating our great enemy. They tell us to lead like Moses while mocking the man who prepared the way for our Savior. John did not do miracles. John did no signs. He humbly preached repentance and the kingdom of God. He was willing to decrease that Christ may increase. He boldly confessed that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And in the end, he was martyred for his faith, beheaded for the Son of God. This was the man that Christ chose to be baptized by. Unlike James MacDonald, I don't find it difficult at all to see why Jesus said John was the greatest man to ever live. Perhaps if James and others stopped looking at foreshadows of Christ for greatness and started looking at the person of Christ, they wouldn't either. Zing. Wow. Great email 
Thank you, Pastor Price. Uh, and keep them coming. Keep them coming. All right, moving along. Have you ever heard of the lightning anointing? You know, the anointing that supposedly you can get from somebody like Cat Kerr and then turn around and be able to have lightning shoot right out of your hands. Never heard of that? <laughs> well, after today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, you will no longer be able to say that you've never heard of the lightning anointing. Um, here's <clears throat> Brent Luck, a <laughs> new channel partner at XP Media, explaining how he received the lightning anointing from Cat Kerr. Kids, Hi, my name is uh, Brett Luck, and uh, I am uh, so fortunate to have a channel here at XP and uh, called Eternal Purpose. And uh, first of all, we just want to bless Patricia and uh, the whole XP family for giving Melissa and I the opportunity to have this channel. I, I want to tell you something that's happened to me. Uh, God Please do, yeah. God afforded me the opportunity to meet Kat Kerr. And yeah, Kat Kerr, the, the lady with the pink hair who claims that Jesus or God himself told her to have pink hair and get, tells us all about the wonderful things about heaven and never really tells us about Christ. Weird. Okay, yeah, her, yeah. To uh, be a part of bringing her uh, to the West Coast to this wonderful tour that we're on right now, even while we're here in Phoenix. And uh, it's just been an amazing opportunity meeting her. And, uh, you know, there's a scripture in the Bible that says that Paul said, I do not come to you with enticing man's, uh, with enticing man's wisdom or speech, but I come to you with the demonstration of power. Now, I've always wondered, what does that actually mean? And, and will I ever see that and that type of thing? And uh, so I've had the opportunity to be around Cat and hear all these amazing stories about heaven. Totally changed my fear level of dying. Uh, folks, I was deathly afraid of dying because of a wrong doctrine I had received. Uh, yeah. that would. <laughs> so I'm sure you think that Cat Kerr is teaching you sound biblical doctrine. <laughs> yeah. So in your world, up is down and down is up, black is white and white is black, and right is left and left is right. Got it. Okay. Uh, Red Cat's books, of course, have been hanging out with her quite a bit and uh, being um, just getting the revelation of heaven in me. But uh, we went to Sedona for the first part of the tour to start the tour there. Sedona, Arizona, the new age mecca of Arizona. Okay. Finished the meetings on Sunday. She laid hands and imparted the lightning power of God into everybody. And I have the lightning power of God into everybody. Well, I, hmm. Hang on a second here. I'm just thinking through uh, <clears throat> any scripture passages come to mind. Regarding the lightning power anointing of God. No, nothing in Scripture mentioned there. Okay, so tell us more about this lightning power anointing of God thing. Be the last one. And so she imparted into me and uh, hit me a couple of times and said, here's a, here's a third one for you since you brought me here. And so I came back, had a wonderful time uh, getting back to Vegas, started the, the uh, meetings in Vegas, and after the first night, Melissa and I finished eating late, about 1 o'clock, got home. And, folks, I wouldn't be telling you this if I didn't have a witness because most of you. Yeah, I want to point something out here. Even if what you're going to describe in the next <clears throat> 30 seconds of this video actually panned out to be true, it doesn't tell us anything. Let, let me explain to you why. Okay. Um, your experiences. <clears throat> 
um, do not determine the truthfulness of the message that you bring. Your experiences are not a gauge for the truth. Satan himself, according to Scripture, is capable of performing signs and wonders. The question is, what's the doctrine that you bring? Is it the biblical gospel, the biblical Jesus, the true Christ, true repentance, true forgiveness of sins, or are you bringing heresy and heterodoxy and strange ideas, preaching of the people's imaginations in their own mind? If that's the case, it doesn't matter if... lightning shoots out of your hands or other parts of your body, um, your message is still false. You're just saying. So, you know, whether or not this really happened is kind of beside the point. Are probably going to have a hard time believing this, but now I'm going to tell you anyway because it happened. But my wife is a witness, and heaven is a witness, and uh, I've been really crying out that uh, heaven would be my home uh, as far as bringing heaven to my home, making my home heaven. So- uh, what? See, oh, see, already, that's false doctrine there, dude. You, you, this is not biblical. Oh, my wife and I went through the house doing what we normally do, our pattern of closing, turning the alarms off, making yeah. sure everything's okay. Yeah. And I went to the front door of my house, getting ready to make sure the lock came over. And, folks, I put my hand to the front of the door. And when I did, blue and white lightning went... And then like a thousand fireflies. And another one went. Just like that. Uh Uh-huh. So lightning has shot out of your hand. Just like. Like that. Ooh. Yeah. Bummer, dude. Um, Yeah. Just want to let you know. That's not a good thing. Yeah. Um. Haven't you seen the Star Wars movies? Okay, you know, the reason I'm 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 asking the question is because yeah, the whole lightning shooting out of the hand thing, that's not like from the good guys. That's from the bad guys. Yeah, and see it's only the Sith that have lightning shooting out of different parts of their body. Let me let me remind you of this. Hang on. No feeble skills are no match for the power of the dark side. You see, that's the evil emperor, you know? You see that sound? That's that's lightning shooting out of his hands and torturing Luke Skywalker. The price for your lack of vision. <laughs> Wait a second, hang on. What did the emperor just say here? Hang on, I'm going to go on a bunny trail. Let's back that up. Listen again. You have paid the price for your lack of vision. Oh, you're paying the... Ah, oh, so the Sith are vision casters. Got it. I had missed that part. Okay, so the, it's the Sith who are not they only not only are they the ones that shoot lightning out of their hands, but they're the ones who are also vision casters who throw people under the bus if they have lack of vision. Got it. So, uh, Brent, hey, again, hate to break it to you, but the whole lightning shooting out of your hands thing, that's a Sith thing. It's bad. Uh, you've been seduced by the dark side of the force, dude. My home. And my Lisa, my wife, said, what was that? And so we stepped back thinking, okay, there's got to be some natural, plausible 
explanation, right? Yeah, you're a Sith. So I have a two-year-old and a three-year-old. Uh, I kick the kid's lightning shoes, right? So we're looking at the lightning shoes. No, no way. No way at all. So we looked at everything. We realized that God had manifested the very thing that Kat had imparted into me spiritually. God had manifested it spirit, uh, naturally in my home. Folks, this was not a small amount of white or blue light or flickering. It lit my stairs, going up my stairs in my home. Folks, I'm Yeah, I'm telling you, you're going to hurt somebody with that. I'm telling you right now. And I asked God, I said, God, why did you do this? And he said, I did this so you will know when you lay hands on people what's actually taking place in the realm of the spirit. Yeah, you're torturing people like a Sith. I wanted you to see what it was in the natural. Folks, let me tell you something. When God imparts something into you, it is powerful. It is going to do what God said it was going to do. Folks, every day I'll be... Yeah, unfortunately, though, Brent... Um, yeah, see, here's the problem. It, it, that's not Yahweh who imparted that whatever it is to you. That would be the God of this world, and that would be Satan. Again, shooting lightning out of your hands, that's a Sith trick. Now, you just got to learn your Star Wars there, dude, man. Just saying. All right, moving along. Oh, yeah. Two Joel Osteen updates in two days. As I can be. Sing along if you know it. By myself, an uncharted island in an endless sea. What makes me happy fills me up with glee. Those bones in my jaw don't have a flaw. My shiny teeth and me. My shiny teeth that twinkle just like the stars in space. My shiny teeth that sparkle adding beauty to my face. My shiny teeth that glisten just like a Christmas tree. You know they walk the miles just to see me smile. Shiny teeth and me. All right, yeah. There's something catchy about that song. Anyway, all right, so... <clears throat> is it yesterday or the day... Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Joel Osteen, this week, it was either yesterday or the day before, appeared on CNN, and uh, they they have a program called Starting Point. And, ay, 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 I mean, you could just tell this was going to be a train wreck every single time Joel Osteen appears on one of these talk shows. You know what they're going to ask him about, right? Because the, 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 uh, the entire American culture at this point is fighting the culture war regarding same-sex marriage. So Joel Osteen, who's supposed to be a Christian, is supposed to give the Christian answer as to whether or not uh, homosexuality is a sin. Well, um... Getting Joel Osteen to talk about sin openly, yeah, that's like pulling one of his shiny teeth. It's just very difficult. It's like trying to get T.D. Jakes to talk straight about the doctrine of the Trinity. It's just not going to happen. He, of course, he believes in the Trinity as long as he can express his belief in modalistic terms. But um, so here's some audio from the video of Joel Osteen's recent appearance on CNN's starting point and him talking about homosexuality and same-sex marriage. You'll find it <clears throat> aggravating and educational all at the same time. Uh, here we go. 
came on Piers Morgan's show a while ago, he asked you about homosexuality, Christianity, homosexuality. And almost every time we have a pastor on, it's a conversation we have. And you, you are known for these uplifting ceremony services, and you talk to a lot of, it's like 45,000 people who attend. And I always wonder, when you are, you say homosexuality is a sin, and there's a bunch of people who clearly are, are gay who are, are in your church, you're calling them sinners. I mean, that... Yeah. Okay. Now that wasn't Joel Osteen. That's the lady hosting the um, <clears throat> starting point. Now the question she asked, uh, I well, it kind of demonstrates what I would consider to be, uh, you know, kind of a little bit of ignorance on her part. It's like th- the idea that a pastor would call people in their church sinners. Uh, yeah, and that's <laughs> what's supposed to happen at a church. Um, the right, the, you know. In fact. Uh, if you're not a sinner, Christianity has got nothing to offer you. If you're not a sinner, well, Jesus has got nothing to offer you. Jesus Christ died for sinners. So if you ain't one, you don't need Jesus. Plain and simple. So she's a little shocked at this idea. So, uh, Pastor Osteen, if, you, if you're if you saying that people are uh, – if homosexuality is a sin, it's clearly there's homosexuals in the audience. Or you're calling them sinners, as he should, but he doesn't really do that, though. Well, so that it's I the think opposite of uplifting. I would it say. does, but one, one I don't. Yeah, it's the opposite of uplifting. I mean, isn't Christianity all about being uplifting? Well, if you're calling him sinners, you're not being uplifting. So here's his squishy answer. Don't necessarily focus on that. I only talk about that on the interviews. The other thing too is, it seems like in Christianity sometimes we categorize sin. I mean, pride is a sin. Being critical is a sin. Being negative is a sin. The Scripture even think, says anything that is not a faith is a sin. We're all sinners. You'd say we're all no, sinners. Yes. And so I think we so say okay. Now, he, now. Just so you know, he wasn't appearing alone. This is almost like firing line going on. I mean, I mean, I think I saw Deepak Chopra in the, in the, you know on the panel there. Okay, that that is that is a hostile hostile uh, you know, panel for him to be appearing on. And Joel Osteen is like not qualified. If you're gonna have somebody you know sit on a panel like this, put Dr. James White there. I mean, he he would just take out his flaming sword and cut them all to pieces and and you and in just like clinical fashion too but it's joel osteen here so he's getting pushback from the other panel members to be expected it's like so in a situation like this okay pause for a second here i'm gonna digress okay now not that they would ever invite somebody like me to sit on a panel like this but if i were sitting on a panel like this i'd sit there and i'd size up the table it's like okay got deepak chopra over here who thinks that uh that uh, that the universe can hear itself uh, within itself, and that it lives within you, kind of thing. Uh, new age, you know, pantheistic, you know, nonsense. And it's some other guy, com- clearly hostile. Basically, the job of a Christian in a situation like this is basically to look people dead in the eye and say, "Have you met God? How dare you dare to you know, claim to speak for Him? I know who God is. I've never met Him, but Jesus is God, and He." proved his claim by raising himself from the dead on the third day, and he's the God of the Old Testament. That one. Yeah, that God. And that God clearly reveals that homosexuality is an abomination, right? And so you're going to sit here and judge Christianity. By what authority are you doing such thing? Who's your God? Show me him, and by what credentials can you make any claims like this? I can tell you who the God is who made us, and how he intended us to be made, and for for us to use our bodies when it comes to sex, and and he's clearly said that this is out of step with 
what he's created and made in its abomination, which, by the way, you can just take a look at the plumbing and figure that out. It doesn't hook up, right? Homosexual couples produce with children? They don't because you can't do it that way. That's not how it was designed. You see, you got you to gotta say something that bold and in your face, and instead he's gone squishy, which is exactly what Joel Osteen does because he doesn't want to alienate people and make them feel bad about themselves because he just said that being negative is a sin, and so he can't be negative. So we continue. Not so bad, right? Well, I, I don't think it's God's best. Neither do I think. It's not God's best. That is that is T.D. Jake saying, yeah, I, I believe in God in three persons as long as uh, you can, I can use the word manifestations instead of person. You know, we're not, no one is God's best, no, right? We're all growing. I mean, so don't you think, though, that with the with the country struggling with increasing acceptance of all its citizens and your for basic fairness for everybody that in situations where like we're trying to pass these marriage equality bills in certain states now that you ought to you have an important voice to lend to that, especially to kids who are really the job of Joel Osteen is to lend a voice for helping you know, get support for marriage equality acts really <laughs> oh wait, sorry now you know if joel osteen were truly a christian pastor that's not his agenda his agenda is to pe- preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins but he doesn't do that either or maybe worried about who they are and where they fit in the community well you know i think i have an important voice but i'm very i think i've been good i think part of my if you want to call it success is I've stayed in my lane and my lane is lifting people's spirits and there there are issues that good <laughs> well that's just true he stayed in his lane it ain't the Christian lane but it's his lane he stayed in his lane on the broad highway that leads to hell and he's just there to uplift people and to speak positive things in Bible believing people see on both sides of the fence I, I, but you know I just so you I think, would say to, to, to gay young people that you know do what you feel is comfortable yes no you know, I, I would say, I would say, do what I feel like the scripture says. I don't think being well, and there's a big debate about what scripture says. Right? No, there really isn't. It's pretty clear what scripture says. The only people making a debate about it are people who are denying the clear meanings of words, and which is a trick, by the way, uh, developed by the Nazis. No joke. That's literally the where it comes from. Right? It is. It, it is. And so okay, that's, that's probably, good. Well, well that's but I'm weird. lost though. So uh, because, uh, but when you say. You would say the scripture says homosexuality is a sin. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You said it. I didn't have to. He said, okay, yeah, yeah, that's what the Bible says. He, he quickly jumps up. Yes, yes, it's that. So then, but, so this is what I'm trying to understand. I, I'm, I go to church regularly, but I'm not so strong in the Bible, so you'll have to walk me through sure, some sure. of this. And there are some pastors who disagree. They say the scriptures don't defend that, and Jesus sure. didn't weigh in on homosexuality. Yeah. yeah, that's ridiculous. Okay, by the way, that's a common argument. Okay, well, you know. This is one of the new arguments out there. Are you ready? This is just so ridiculous. Okay, here's how the argument goes. Search the Gospels. Okay, Jesus didn't say a single word about homosexuality. I mean, if it was so important, then why didn't he say anything about it? (laughs) Um, Well, you seem to forget who Jesus is. Okay, Jesus is the God of the Old Testament in human flesh. That's who he is. So, um, Jesus has said a lot about homosexuality, I would just take a look at the book of Leviticus if you're confused as to what Jesus' position is regarding homosexuality, because he's the God who revealed that to Moses. Got it? So Jesus has said a lot, unless, of course, you want to deny that Jesus is the God of, of the Old Testament in human flesh, which is who he claimed to be, and he proved it, by the way, by raising himself from the grave on the third day after he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. 
So, I mean, it's just a dumb argument. It's a bad Christology, and it's lame. So my question is, when you're talking to your 45,000 people in your, in your service, and some of them are gay, you're saying to them, you're a sinner. Yes, exactly. That's what he should be saying. Well, but he doesn't really do that, because he, he's got to stay in his lane and uplift people. So, first off, in my services, I don't cover all these issues that we talk about no, I, here. Yeah, that's right. I avoid all of those issues like the plague so that I can just uplift people with mythological doctrines that I create in my head. Listen to the last sermon that we reviewed of Joel Osteen. It was a full-blown sermon, but go to last week's archives. Last week's Joel Osteen update. Yeah, I mean, if he was just flat out making stuff up and blaming it on God. Would you make it clear that you think that, that yeah. homosexuality is a sin? When I read the scripture, that's when I believe that, that the scripture condemns it or says it's a sin. But it also says that you know, lying is, and that being prideful is. Right, so then you shouldn't lie. But you, but for people who are gay, you, you're saying, so well, then you shouldn't be gay? Listen to what these people are saying. Excuse me here for a second. Can I just challenge your assumption here? You're assuming that gay is like, you know, male or female. It isn't, okay? It's, it's Gnostic sexuality, and what I mean by that is it's a denial of the physical of what God has made you. You want to know what you are? Excuse the crass analysis here, but real simple. If you're not sure what you are, just look down there, and if you have the boy parts, you're a guy, and if you have the girl parts, you're a girl. It's just that simple. It's a physical thing. You are that. You are male or female. God did not make uh, homosexual male, uh, heterosexual male, homosexual female, heterosexual female. That's this ridiculous. God made a male and female. Homosexuals are denying what God has made them to be, claiming that their internal experience and who, what they are, what their feelings are, is more uh, reality than their physical reality. It's a form of Gnosticism. You can't choose I think that's the big debate. And the scripture says you've got to work out your own you salvation. You think you can choose to be gay or not gay? You think you choose to be straight? No, I, I know I have not chosen to be straight. That's, I feel like that's who I am. So how could I choose to be gay? One question. Ugh, lame, lame, lame argument. Seriously, just argue it from physical body parts. You are. You are what you are physically. You are either male or female. Plain and simple. And homosexuality is literally a war against the physical body that God has made you to be. So there's Joel Osteen. You know, just, you know, he's as um, firm as, well, a dead jellyfish. Um, you know, wow. And as, like I said, uh, Jeremy Rogan said, you know, he's, he's as firm on this, these doctrine, uh, these issues of sin and homosexuality as, uh, well, T.D. Jakes is when having to discuss the doctrine of the Trinity. We are up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so on my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. When you get there, hit the subscribe button. You can actually be my friend. I've like capped out at the number of friends, but you can subscribe. Or you follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. We will be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. 
We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select. Hello, my name is Joel Osteen, and I want to tell you about my latest book. Every day is Friday. I really don't know why I wrote this one, though. I was trying to come up with some ideas, and it turns out I don't have any. So that's when I started thinking of things people really liked. I was thinking of all sorts of stuff, but none of the things I was thinking were really working. My first title was, Every Day is Marshmallow Covered Rainbows, but my mama told me it stunk. And then I had one of those ideas because somebody on the TV said they like Friday. I mean, what's not to like about Friday? There's a party every night. If your boss isn't all strict and stuff, you can be casual at work. And they's always having that 25 cent wing night down at Bubba Wings on Tuesdays. Turns out there are some people who don't seem to like the whole every day is Friday thing and have made some not so nice remarks. They keep on saying things like, but Saturday is so much better. With every day being Friday, I don't ever get to sleep in or have a day off. Well, we here at Lakewood have a name for these kinds of people, and they are close-minded haters. Hey, that's my line! Uh, security, get this crazy person out of here. I'll show you who's crazy! I want to invite you to register for the free Biblical Worldview Weekend Rally coming to the following cities the fall of 2012. These are one night and they're free, but you must register online at worldviewweekend.com. We're going to start out October 7th in Destin, Florida. Then we're on to Wichita, Kansas, Des Moines, Iowa, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Rogers, Arkansas, Peoria, Illinois, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Rockford, Illinois. They're free, they're one night, and it's the Biblical Worldview Weekend Rally. Full details at worldviewweekend.com. That's worldviewweekend.com. Please post this on your Facebook, put it out to your email address book. Help us get out the word about these free fall 2012 Biblical Worldview Weekend Rallies. Speakers will include myself, Brandon House, along with Justin Peters, Mike Gendron, Jimmy D. Young, and a few others. Don't miss out on the fall Worldview Weekend rallies coming to these cities. Full details at worldviewweekend.com. Keep more of your money in your pocket. 
Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Uh, warning, Christianity doesn't get to be invented by a pastor. The job of a pastor is to proclaim it. It's a received, revealed religion, not something you make up. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. You walked up the pulpit like you are a man of God Stephen Furtick update Mentor and you're so vain. You probably think the Bible's about you. You're so vain. But you think the Bible's about you, don't you? Don't you? Heard the real gospel and you're so vain. You probably think the Bible's about you. You're so vain. I bet you think the Bible's about you, don't you? Don't you? Well, uh, Stephen Furtick has been preaching through his book, 
greater. And uh, he's up to the story in uh, 2 Kings chapter 3 of uh, digging ditches. And what he's doing is allegorizing the text and then narcissistically eisegeting as if somehow the story of Elisha is giving us steps that we need to follow into in order to ignite God's vision for our life. Let me kill this music. Dun, 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 dun. All right, sorry, distracted there. Yeah, all right. So, but see, here's the thing. Um, 2 Kings chapter 3 and the story of Elisha, nowhere in any other parts of the scripture does it say that these are the steps that you and I must follow in order to ignite God's vision or plan for our particular lives. Like, not at all. See, that's the thing. All of these guys are trying to figure out the secret to how it is that that Elisha did this, or Elijah did that, or Moses did this, or, uh, you know, know, Jonah did that. You see, that's not the point of the Old Testament. You somehow backwards engineer, oh, so that's how they did it. It's like, hello, um, the way they did it is that God did it. See, see, it wasn't them, it was God. You get what I'm saying? So um, so as a result of it, we've in our coverage of this particular book, over and again, over and again, we just keep pointing out the fact that uh, what Stephen Furtick is doing here is hijacking these biblical texts and basically teaching something that they don't teach. Now, before I get to it, I actually want to point something out to you, kind of a unique little feature of this particular passage. In fact, let me open up my Bible, 2 Kings chapter 3. I'm using the, by the way, just upgraded to Accordance 10. Really nice interface. Wow. <laughs> like it a lot. Okay. Let me read to you from Second uh, Kings chapter 3. And um, so, in fact, I'll start at verse 9 and so that you can kind of get the story. But I, I want to point something out to you from the ESV, which I think is a unique thing that needs to be discussed here. And, and that's this. In fact, it was a listener who pointed this out to me on my Facebook wall. But let me read to you Second Kings chapter 3, verse 9. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. And when they uh, had made a circuitous march of seven days, there was no water for the army or for the animals that followed them. Then the king of Israel said, Alas, the Lord has called these three kings to give them to the hand of Moab. Yeah, see, Moab is invaded. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here uh, through whom we may inquire of the Lord? So then one, uh, one of the king, uh, then one of the king of Israel's servants answered, Well, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. So then Jehoshaphat said, So the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? Okay, the idolater, by the way. Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother, right? Yeah, it's like, yeah, listen, we, yeah, um, thing, yeah, the king of Israel, um, an idolater, okay? But the king of Israel said to him, no, it is the Lord who has called these three kings uh, to give them, it has the Lord called these three things to give them the hand of Moab? So Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, were it not that uh, were it not that I have regard for Jehoshaphat the king of Judah, I would neither look at you nor see you. Right? Because the issue here is the king of Israel, the idolater, is in their presence. So, uh, but now bring me a musician. And when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him, and he said, "Thus says the Lord." 
I will make this dry, uh, dry uh, stream bed full of pools. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind or rain, but you shall drink you and your livestock and your animals. This this is a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will also give the Moabites into your hand, and you shall attack the very fortified city and every choice city, and uh, shall fell every good tree and stop up all the springs of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. Okay, so here's the deal. When you read this in the ESV, you will notice a very interesting thing, and that is is that when Elisha prophesies, he doesn't say dig ditches. In fact, this is kind of interesting, is that the Hebrew on this, you can kind of go either way with it. Now, it's important to note that the ESV is breaking ranks with a traditional interpretation of this passage that goes all the way back to the Septuagint. The Septuagint agrees with the NIV where Elijah says, you know, you know, make this valley full of ditches, whereas the ESV um, you know, looks at the Hebrew and says, well, that's not exactly what's going on here. If we translate the verb here this way, then it's clear that what God is talking about here is not saying go and dig ditches, but God is promising all on his own to fill the stream bed. And that's kind of the point there is that um, in the text, it says, I will make this dry stream bed full of uh, of ditches. Well, the word there for, you know, that the NIV translate as valley, you know, make this valley full of ditches. It's actually, um, it, you know, the, the, the word that is used for a brook. It's not a, really a valley. And so the, I think the ESV has a better translation. And, and what happens is, is God's not commanding them to dig ditches at all. In fact, the ESV says nothing about commanding them to dig ditches. God's saying, I'm going to make this dr- uh, stream bed full of pools like, because this is a natural occurring feature uh, within this, you know, within these uh, wadis, uh, these uh, dry stream beds within Israel. So God's not telling him to dig ditches within the wadi. It, it already has these naturally occurring you know, little, you know, cistern-like pools that are there as a natural feature of the, of the stream bed itself. And God's saying, I'm going to do it. So I'm, I'm pointing all of this out to you because um, what the, the point that Stephen Furtick is about to make regarding, you know, God command, you know, God's promising something, but you got to dig ditches. Um, he, there's dispute on, uh, on this passage as to whether or not that's really what it's even said. And the ESV picks it up. So, I uh, just wanted to point that out. So the ESV doesn't translate it the way he's going to read it. And so there's there's a dispute as to how to properly understand this biblical text. So with that in mind, um, here is Stephen Furtick talking about the importance of digging ditches. Yeah, here we go. Inspiration is a wonderful thing. When you come to this church, I hope if nothing else... You may not like my stupid jacket that clashes with the red background. You may not like my jokes. You may not like my, my, my hollering. And you may, you may not like a, a lot of the little side things, the sarcasm. But I hope that, that you get inspired to believe God for greater things when you come to church here. Inspiration is awesome. Inspiration is fantastic. But a lot of people don't know the difference between inspiration and participation in God's purpose. Because here's, here's the thing. Elisha starts prophesying and, and, and the harpist is playing, player. And while the harpist is playing, the hand of the Lord, put the verse up there, came upon Elisha, verse 16. And he said, this is what the Lord says. Make 
this valley full of ditches. Stop there. That ain't what I would have wanted to hear if my troops are dying of thirst in the desert and they're already dehydrated. And maybe the kings wanted God to give them a shortcut to getting their water supply turned back on. They wanted the the water bill paid uh, in heaven. And maybe the kings thought that Elisha would give them a shortcut to the miracle. God is not your shortcut. God is your only solution. God is not a shortcut to your solution. God is indeed himself the solution. If all we want from God is greater things, that's not faith. That's idolatry. That's worshiping created things above the creator. So if the first thing I want from God is a thing he can give, I don't get it yet. And if I think that God is going to do a miracle in my life like a magic trick, I'm going to be sorely disappointed. Here's why. Miracles aren't magic tricks. And faith is not a lottery ticket. And this text doesn't promise you that God's going to work a miracle in your life. Mm Mm-hmm. This isn't a promise of that. And Elisha chapter 3 was not, or not Elisha chapter, uh, 2 Kings chapter 3 in the story of Elisha wasn't written so that you can unlock the secrets to igniting God's vision for your life. You see, you didn't go far enough there, Steve. Faith is a work order. Uh, Faith (laughs) is a work order. Um, I think you're confusing law and gospel there. (laughs) You want to see some rain? Dig a ditch. Hmm, you want to see some rain, dig a ditch. Now, again, I pointed out that there's uh, there's some dispute regarding what that text really says in the Hebrew. Um, but you want to see some rain, dig a ditch. That's weird. Ever since I was a kid, I didn't have to dig any ditches. In fact, we're going to get rain today, and I didn't dig any ditches for the rain to come. God just gave it. Huh. So if you want to see some rain, you need to dig a ditch. That's not what this text is saying. You want God to bless your life financially? Put him first. Mm, Yeah, see, God will only bless you if you earn it. Be generous. Get you a budget. Yeah, let me um, let me provide a counter um, to that. The the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Answer by hearing with faith, by the way. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you? See, this is this, this is a perfect counterpoint, because Paul asks the question, does the one who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law? You want, a, you want a financial miracle? Put God first. You want a financial miracle? Get a budget. You want a financial miracle? Then you need to be more generous. 
Okay, so Paul addresses this. Watch this. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Weird because here Galatians 3 is a direct contradiction to what Stephen Furtick is saying here that faith is a work order. And if you want a miracle, you pretty much got to earn it. A budget. I believe you're going to supply all my needs. You know, the harpist is playing your church. It's like, you know, God wants to give you a miracle in your family. I believe our families are going to serve the Lord. And I believe God's going to raise up your kids to be world changers for the glory of God. And then stop. You go home. And your kids aren't on the same page with the inspiration that you just received. And when the harpist stops playing... And when the inspiration isn't quite flowing, that's where faith begins. Not just to ask God for rain, but to be willing to dig a ditch. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's this ditch theology here. Kind of reminds me of this. You got to go and dig those holes. Man, I'm tired. With broken hands and withered souls, emancipated from all you know, you got to go and dig those holes. Gratuitous fighting for the faith musical interlude. from the movie Holes, by the way. Uh, <laughs> dig it. Yeah, the the tent boys. Anyway, uh, so back to... <clears throat> that sounds about as exciting as digging holes in the uh, Texas deserts. In preparation for the rain before you ever see the first cloud in the sky. Yeah, no, they're all clapping because this sounds like a biblical um, teaching, but it's not. Again, show me from the text that this is a step. These the, basically all you got to do to you know is follow these same steps in your life, and you can ignite God's vision and miracle for you. See, you just got to believe God's going to give you a miracle. So go dig some holes. 
And what exactly does it mean, by the way, to go dig some holes, dig some ditches? You know, you got to go dig ditches, man. Get get to it. And what does that exactly look like again? What are we talking about? Which miracle am I supposedly um, preparing for? Yes, because that's the issue here. Where do you and I go to get a direct promise from God regarding something, right? Has God specifically given you a unique promise that your children are going to be world changers? Where'd you get that from? Does it say that in the Bible? Yeah, no, it doesn't. Nope, doesn't say that in the Bible. Um, so we're talking about extra biblical revelation, some kind of promise that you're supposed to prepare for because you believe somewhere in your heart that God sort of kind of in a mystical kind of fuzzy, not so definable kind of way spoke into your heart a particular promise, partic- you know, but yeah, right. Um, by the way, the Bible does have very good promises for you and for me. And that has to do with us being forgiven by God because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. God has, oh, by the way, Jesus himself, by the way, it's funny where he's promised us persecution. I mean, I, why aren't these guys embracing Jesus's promise that we will in, uh, be persecuted for our faith? Those aren't the promises. That, you know, so how do you dig ditches in preparation for your persecution? Why aren't they doing that? Hmm? It'd be awesome, man, if like, if Eric and Elevation Worship could follow you around all week, you know, you know, you could just in the middle of, in the middle of that, that meeting that's so boring and you're trying to get through it and keep an attitude that's positive. And you know, if, if you could call for a harpist anytime, wouldn't that be cool? You know, like you're sitting through that thing, bring me a harpist. And you know, what if Eric followed you around, you know, you're washing the dishes and he's like, you know, and I'm standing there preaching, scrub it, scrub it, scrub it, scrub like, but stop. When the music's over, you got to get a bandana and pick up a shovel. Faith without works is dead. Out of context, out of context. Yeah, we Lutherans are very familiar with the book of James because uh, misunderstanding James is one of the primary threats to understanding salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone. And so we Lutherans have uh, made a careful study of the book of James to make sure that um, we get what it says correctly. In fact, a, a good book, if you would like to read about this, a just a fantastic book by you know just a top drawer, um, a top shelf Lutheran scholar, uh, uh, David Scare. The name of the book, by the way, is entitled James the Apostle of Faith. James the Apostle of Faith. You, you need to read this book. But anyway, the verse that he's quoting out of context um, is from the epistle of, of James. Verse 26, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. The point that James is making, okay, James is fighting in, you know, antinomians, okay, who are basically saying, listen, I'm saved by grace through faith. I don't have to do any good works. Yeah, that's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, Paul himself makes a point in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, where you know, verses 8 and 9 says, For we are saved by grace through faith, not from works, so that no man may boast, right? It is a gift from God, so that no man may boast. And we are saved 
to do good works. That's kind of the point of, of verse 10. So we're saved to do good works. And so James is fighting uh, not the, uh, the, what uh, the Apostle Paul kept running into, the Judaizing heresy. James was actually fighting antinomians. So he's kind of got the flip side of uh, the, 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 you know, the flip error that he's going after. And the Greek here is so clear. It says, for just as the body that is not breathing is dead, so faith without works is dead. How do you know faith is alive? Faith does good works. Okay, you can't separate faith and good works. But the point is, is that James here is not talking about, you know, doing works in order to receive a miracle from God. This see at this point. Furtick is engaging in a in a very nasty, uh, flat out satanic twisting of God's word. Just quoting James two twenty six out of context: "Faith without works is dead." In the context of, well, you need to dig ditches in order for God to give you a miracle. That that's that's like above and beyond the pale of of as what is what is acceptable and true regarding properly handling God's word. So he's taken James out of context. And so this is not good. But again, if you really, again, if you really, really want to study this, I strongly recommend David Scare's book, James, the apostle of faith. You can get it on amazon.com. This is a fantastic book and it's short too. You can, yeah, you can read it fairly quickly, but <clears throat> back to Stephen Furtick. I want you to repeat this after me so you can hear yourself say it. Oh, no. Say, only God can make it rain. But he wants me to dig a ditch. Turn to your neighbor. Tell No, he doesn't. I mean, that's just not true. That's not what this text says at all. Nowhere in the text does it say, God wants you to dig a ditch. And that was this week's installment of... Bible Twisting by Stephen Furtick. You got to go and dig those holes. Man, I'm tired. With broken hands and withered souls, emancipated from all you know. You got to go and dig those holes. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Click on the subscribe button or follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. We'll be right back with two good sermons. God doesn't need your good works. Your neighbor needs them. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. 
Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. We're going to end the week off with two fantastic good sermons. It's been a while since we've done a Brian Wolfmuller sermon. You know, he has a regular radio spot here at Pirate Christian Radio. He does. He does. All right, let's do this right. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's first sermon comes to us via Hope Lutheran Church, Aurora, Colorado. That is a suburb of Denver. Pastor Brian Wolfmuller presiding. The name of the sermon is entitled, The Human is an Idol Factory. And it's from the gospel text, the gospel of Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 through 34. You'll remember that as being from the Sermon on the Mount. So we will be listening to that. And then sermon number two is from Brent Kuhlman of Trinity Lutheran Church, Murdoch, Nebraska. And the name of the sermon is Jesus Can and Does Help. And it's from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, 14 through 29. So, you know, let's... uh, There's not more I can say about this. Let me go ahead and read the gospel text for uh, Pastor Wolf Mueller's sermon so that you have that. See, in the Lutheran Church, they read the biblical text first, and then they the sermon is preached. Uh, you know, and, and it, I think it would help if uh, you know they did their audio the way Pastor Charmley did. But uh, let me read to you the uh, the sermon uh, text is uh, the Gospel of Matthew chapter six verses twenty four through thirty four, which reads: Jesus speaking, by the way, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you put on, is not life more than food, the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Uh, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, 
and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. All right, here's sermon number one. Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, Hope Lutheran Church, Aurora, Colorado. Uh, the human heart is an idol factory. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, the human heart is an idol factory. John Calvin said it, and he was right about it. Our hearts, stained with sin, are inclined to trust in anything and in everything but God. We'll love anything and everything but God. We will fear anything and everything but God. And here stands the first and the greatest of the commandments. You shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things, and yet we end up fearing and trusting and loving everything else above God. And if we need proof of this, consider Exhibit A, your worry. You worry. And this shows forth your idolatrous heart. I don't know how many of you have ever played hide-and-seek with a three-year-old before. If you haven't and you need to borrow a three-year-old, let me know. (laughs) You know that when you find the blanket shaped like a 20-pound little wiggling mound and there's giggling coming from underneath, then you know you've found the one you're looking for. And there's a similar thing with worry. Whenever you find yourself worrying about something, you know that there's an idol, a false god, somewhere underneath there. Some sort of squirmy, giggling idol under the covers. And this is what Jesus is getting at in this sermon. We're right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount in in Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus is putting before us in this entire sermon, three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, He's putting before us the first commandment. You have no other gods before me. He's calling us to trust in our Heavenly Father alone for all that we need in this life and in the life to come. That's what the entire sermon is about. And Jesus now, in the first verse of our reading, is contrasting this faith and trust in God with a faith that's divided, with a person who tries to have faith in God and something else, especially in this text, the person that attempts to have faith in God and money. It isn't possible. No one can serve two masters, says Jesus. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and he'll despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. To serve money, to love money more than God, to be afraid of money, and this is probably to be afraid of the lack of money, or to trust in money, says Jesus, is idolatrous. But how do you know that that idol is there? Take a look at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. The worship of the idol of money manifests itself in anxiety. The idolatry of trusting wealth 
will show forth itself in being anxious about your life. Jesus says, look, the birds are not anxious and they have food. Your heavenly Father feeds them. The lilies aren't anxious and they're clothed even more beautifully than Solomon in all of his glory. Your heavenly Father clothes them and you are of more value than they. Your heavenly Father will take care of you, so you shouldn't worry. Now, we know this. You know it. If I were to ask you, will God take care of you? Will he protect you? Will God protect you and provide for your family? Will God uphold you? Make sure that everything works out as we're on our way to heaven. You would answer, Pastor, yes, of course. Then why do you worry? Why do I worry? You see, worry is a symptom of a deeper problem. My heart and your heart are idol factories. If you then want to uncover your idols, simply make a list of the things that you're worried about. We could do it right now on your bullet. Make a list of the things you're worried about. And under each one of them is is an idol that's demanding of you fear. And if you don't have enough things on that list, then make another list of the things that you desire, the things that you covet, the things that you lust for. And these are idols demanding your love. And if the list isn't long enough, you could make a third list of all of the things that you're proud of or all the things that you boast of, all the things you put your confidence in. And these are idols demanding your faith, your trust. And all of us have an embarrassingly long list of these things because your heart is an idol factory. Because my heart is an idol factory. And this is frightful. But to us, to us sinners, Jesus comes and offers comfort. It's a rare bit of comfort in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount is mostly all law. But there are at the end of our text here two things that Jesus tells us to give us comfort. And the first is this. Your heavenly Father knows already exactly what you need. We think that if Jesus is teaching us not to worry about food and clothing, that he might tell us not to worry because God will provide all of these things. But not yet. The first comfort is that, that the knowledge of God contains your needs. God knows about you. The Gentiles seek after all these things, food and drink and clothing, says Jesus. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them. God knows you. And he knows your needs. He knows them precisely. In fact, he knows them better than you know them. And this is a great comfort. Our heavenly Father is not far off. He's not ignorant of what is going on down here. He is taking care of the sparrows and he's taking care of the clovers and it means that he's not too busy for that, then he must not be too busy for you. Your Heavenly Father knows you and he knows what you're worried about. He knows the turmoil in your heart. He knows what you're afraid of, what you desire, and he knows most of all 
what you need. And the one who knows this, your heavenly Father, will provide them. That's the second comfort. We, the children of the Heavenly Father, are not to seek after these earthly things, but we are to seek after something more and something greater, and in the meantime, God will take care of all our earthly needs. But seek ye first, says Jesus, the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things, food, drink, clothing, all of these things will be added to you. We, dear saints, are to seek the kingdom of of God, the righteousness of God. We are to work, not for the food that perishes, but for a crown that will never grow old. We are to strive, for not for the riches of gold and silver, but for the riches of the righteousness of Christ. I'd like to draw your attention to one word in the verse. It's in verse 33. You can see it in your bulletin, this text that I just read. It's the pronoun, the word his. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The righteousness that Jesus wants us to seek is his, not ours. We are to strive for, not for a man's righteousness or for a man's holiness or for a man's perfection. Jesus sets us after a much greater righteousness, and that is God's. And this righteousness, his righteousness, is not a righteousness achieved by keeping the commandments. That would be a man's righteousness. This is the righteousness that comes by faith. The righteousness of the gospel that's given to us when we believe. This righteousness of the gospel is astonishing. I mean, think about this. We stand here in our sin and our idolatry, and there is Jesus in his perfection. Here we are deserving hell and God's condemnation, and Jesus is there in his life. And he comes and takes our sin upon himself, our death upon himself, our condemnation upon himself. And he gives us in its place his perfection and his righteousness and his keeping the commandments perfectly. His perfection. Which means, if you can believe it, That when your heavenly Father looks at you, He sees you as perfect. Not as as a perfect person who kept all the Ten Commandments. No, not that kind of righteousness. He sees you as perfect as Jesus. He sees you as perfect as He is. That's His righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you because when we have His righteousness, we have passed from death to life. We have passed from hell to heaven. We have gone from being a sinner to being perfect and holy and blessed by the Father in heaven. And we have, when we have His kingdom and His righteousness, we have a love from God which never can be we be separated from. We have the forgiveness of sins and the righteousness of Jesus, which means, listen, which means there's nothing left to worry about. For Jesus has given himself to us. And with him we have everything. My grandfather, I don't know if I've told you this. I I might have. uh, So you can tune out if you heard the story before. My grandfather was a fighter pilot in World War II. 
he flew P-38s. And he was, uh, hardly anyone in his squadron uh, came back home. Uh, he was one day flying a mission over somewhere in, in Europe, and, uh, and uh, most of the uh, fighter pilots that were with him uh, crashed, were shot down, and he was shot up as well. It took out one of the engines of the plane. It went through the cockpit, and he was shot in the arm. Uh, and, and he barely made it home to crash land at, at the base. Uh, and he, from that day on, thought that I should have died. But what that means then is that every day for him was a gift from God, a free gift. Every moment of life came straight from the hand of the Heavenly Father. This gospel text that we had was the gospel at his funeral. The one who does not worry is the one who knows that everything that we have in this life and in the life to come, everything that we have is a gift from your Heavenly Father who loves you, who cares for you, and who gives you everything that you need. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, Guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Mm. All right. Sermon number two. Pastor Brent Kuhlman, Trinity Lutheran Church, Murdoch, Nebraska. The text for his sermon, by the way, is the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, uh, verses 14 through 29. Let me read that to you. It reads... Um, and when they, uh, when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing uh, with them about? Someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth, and, be, and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, immediately convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if I can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This is the text for the sermon, and the sermon is entitled, Jesus Can and Does Help. Here's Brent Kuhlman. Dear brothers and sisters of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, can you imagine... I mean, really, can you imagine being the parent of a boy 
who is relentlessly attacked by a demon. And can you imagine if you were that boy? When the demon attacks, the boy can't talk. The demonic spirit takes over his body, flings it to the ground, and he is stiff as a board. His mouth foams, his teeth grind, and there is absolutely nothing you can do about it. How awful that would be. How awful being under the grip of such satanic power. Because you're totally helpless. Well, try the disciples. Maybe they can help. Nope. Peter, James, and John, of course, they haven't even figured out what Jesus meant when he promised that he'd rise from the dead as they came down from the Mount of Transfiguration that just preceded this text. And all that mountain talk about Jesus suffering and dying, they just don't get it. And the other nine who weren't up on top of the mountain, they're no match for these demonic powers. They didn't even pray to Jesus, who has just been revealed in glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. They tried to help the boy all on their own. And Dad can't do it either. And the boy, of course, he can't help himself. This boy is in bondage to this unclean demonic power. And the disciples are no help. And so no doubt the question is asked, and who is it that you disciples follow? Jesus? (laughs) I'll bet he's as worthless as his father. That's what the scribes would say to discredit this Jesus. And so the nine disciples all have a big discussion about it with the crowds and the scribes. They're all totally helpless. They're all not in charge. Someone outside of themselves can only help them and the boy. And so finally, the demon-possessed boy is brought to Jesus. Ah, There's an idea. Yeah, that's right. Let's finally, finally take him to Jesus. And Jesus then, of course, rips off a very harsh statement. Oh, unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long will I have to put up with you? Bring this boy to me. Yes, unbelieving generation, their God himself stands in their midst, Jesus, and they will not believe in him. He is absolutely amazed. But right away, the demonic spirit goes to work again to show off, to show that He, not Jesus, is in charge. He seizes up the boy's body with convulsions, rolls him on the ground, foams at the mouth. How long has this been going on? For a long time, ever since he's been a little boy. And the demonic spirit heaves the boy's body into the fire and then into the water. Did you catch it in the text? Why? To destroy the boy. Not just to possess him, but to destroy him. And there's only one who can help and him alone. Jesus, if you can help us, have compassion on us, and help us. If I can, everything is possible for the person who believes, that Jesus says, that is to say, everyone who believes in me, believe and you have it. Who will trust in Jesus? Who will pray to him for help? The disciples? No. The Father? He says, I do believe, and I beg you, Lord, help me to overcome my unbelief. In other words, the Father is simply saying, I am nothing, but Jesus, you're everything. And Jesus is, and he speaks. You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and never go back to him again. And the Lord's word does what it says. The demon shrieks convulses the boy one more time and then leaves. The boy's not dead. Jesus takes him by the hand and helps him to stand up.
restored, and freed. Now, most of the time we read these Bible stories and we think, oh, wouldn't it be cool if Jesus would still do that today? Man, if only he'd do that today, my God, the church would be full. My people would come out of the woodwork to come here and watch this. Well, i got news for you, he does. He still does these things. And everything is possible to those who believe. Your parents brought you to Jesus when you were children, most of you. Most of you were babies when that happened. Your parents brought you to Jesus so that he would save you from who? Huh? Save you from who? The devil and all of his wicked, unclean, hellish powers. And at the baptism, your baptism, Jesus laid his hands on you and he blessed you with his name and he buried you together with him into his Good Friday death. And Jesus has made a promise to you in your baptism Whoever believes and is baptized will be, will be saved. And Satan had to flee from you. Satan had to flee. You don't belong to Satan anymore because Jesus has you. You are safe in his wounds. And Satan can no longer bring any of his ugly accusations against you because Jesus died for you. You are covered in his blood and you are baptized into Christ. Now, Satan still remains your enemy. I mean, when you were baptized, you made a big-time enemy, Satan. And he still prowls around this world looking to devour anyone that he can, including you and me. But you know, his attacks are quite innocuous these days. I mean, we don't see people like this boy in the text foaming at the mouth or being hurled to the ground in convulsions. Not that often. Rarely do we see that these days. But rather, the satanic acts come in different ways these days. You know, Paul endured this immediately in his ministry. And no doubt you have encountered this as well. Pastors do all the time. You remember that Paul told the Corinthians that the devil parades around as what? An angel of light. You know, we're all, so, we're all used to watching the exorcist movies. And we think that's the only way that the devil operates. i got news for you. He's got you fooled if that's the only way you believe the devil works. He parades around as an angel of light. In other words, he appears as a very religious chap. And Satan proposes the following to all of us. Oh, did Jesus really say that? Come on, you really can't trust Jesus. He's just a fraud. <laughs> Come on. He won't help you. So what you need to do is you need to take charge of your life. You need to take care of your sins and all your problems by yourself. Don't waste your time with this Jesus or any of his gifts. Your baptism, good grief, how's that transformed your life? Hadn't done a lick, has it? Lord's Supper, you just take a piece of bread and wine. What's that do for you? Nothing. So trust yourself. Take charge of your life. You have the power. There's a spark of divinity within you. You have the potential. Just look deep inside yourself. See, these are the satanic attacks these days. And they are very troubling. When people are attacked in this way, in the conscience and in the heart, it is very hard to attack it. So how in the world do you fight it? How do you fight this? You say the truth. You're a liar, devil. You are a demonic liar. Jesus is right when he calls you the father of all lies. And now I tell you the truth, Satan. 
Jesus alone is my Savior, and His promises are certain and sure, as certain and sure as His dying and rising for me. And you tell Satan, drop your lies. Stop your ugly accusations, for Jesus died for me, and I am baptized in His name. And of course, we have prayer. Jesus has taught us how to pray. When you pray, he said, pray this way, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. And then towards the end of it, remember one very important petition? Deliver us from, in the German, those of you who remember the German, deliver us from the evil one. And in that prayer, you confidently expect Jesus to give you all that you need because he knows what you need even before you do. Yes, we are like that father. We confess that we are nothing and that Jesus is everything. And to him alone then be all glory and praise and honor and thanksgiving. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Mm. So what would you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. When you get there, click on the subscribe button. Don't hit the friend thing. I have the limit of friends. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Until next week, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>